Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. History of Persia is a Hopful Media podcast production. Hello, everyone. This episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the internet's largest repository of audiobooks with hundreds of thousands of titles to choose from. You can sign up for Audible and support the show by going to audibletrial.com slash historyofpersia. When you sign up for a free 30-day trial, you will get one credit, good for any audiobook in the store, and access to two Audible Originals that are only accessible through their platform. As always, I like to plug a book that I have been listening to, and this time it is The War of the Three Gods by Peter Crawford. This is a book that covers the fall of the final Persian Empire, the Sassanids, and the rise of Islam and their conflicts with the Byzantine Roman Empire. 
Framed as a three-way struggle between a trio of vastly different societies with vastly different motivations, this frames the end of the ancient world as an epic conflict between great powers. I highly recommend you check it out. It's well narrated and it's well written, and it's also very easy to follow and understand even if you're not familiar with the Sasanids yet. So if that sounds interesting to you, go to audibletrial.com slash historyofpersia and sign up today while supporting the show. Welcome to the History of Persia, episode 36, Return of the Tyranoi. Despite basically everyone involved's best efforts, the Ionian Revolt continues. Over the last several weeks, I followed the story of the first major war between a coalition of Greek cities and the Achaemenid Empire. It all started when Aristagoras, the acting tyrant of Miletus, attempted to orchestrate the Persian conquest of an independent Greek island, Naxos. The Naxos incident was a disaster. The Persian invaders were repulsed, and Aristagoras ended up in trouble and in debt. To save himself, he agreed to whatever terms his people demanded and led Miletus, along with the rest of Ionia, into revolt against the Persian Empire. The other tyrants were deposed, and the revolution spread like wildfire. North and east to Aeolus and Byzantium, and south and west to Caria and Cyprus. After a brief alliance with Athens and a blitz attack on Sardis, the Persians responded to the Ionians with a brutal resubjugation over the course of 497 and 496 BCE. With the revolt under control, the Persians launched a massive assault on Miletus and shattered the Greek alliance in 494. By 493, the Persian armies were in Anatolia, wrapping up their operations, with most of the tyrants back in place and most of the territory back under the Persian thumb. But, off to the side, another story has been playing out. If you cast your memories all the way back to episode 31, the Naxos incident, you might remember the story of Histias. Histias was the tyrant of Miletus during Darius's campaign into Eastern Europe around 512 BCE. He had stayed loyal to the great king despite Scythian offers to support his defection. As a reward for his loyalty, Darius granted him control of the Greek colony he and the other Ionians had started in eastern Thrace. When it was revealed to Darius that this colony was actually a valuable silver mine, a detail Histias had conveniently not disclosed to the king, the tyrant was invited to come to the Persian court for a permanent vacation. In his absence, Aristagoras was made the acting tyrant and the events I just described played out in Ionia. According to Herodotus, the Ionian revolt was prompted by Histias' urging. The historian's version of the story is bizarre to say the least. Herodotus says that Histias tattooed his message to Aristagoras on the head of a slave, let his hair grow out, and then sent him to Aristagoras, who shaved the slave's head and read the instructions. The story doesn't really make sense, and I'm not really convinced that Histias was the mastermind that Herodotus wanted him to be. But we'll get into that because it's the topic of today's episode. If Histias really did encourage his son-in-law to go into revolt, I suspect he just sent a messenger, or a letter, 
He might have had to smuggle the message out of Darius's palace or encode it somehow, but I don't really buy into the whole slave tattooing thing. So while everything was happening on Naxos and in the aftermath of that battle, the revolt was just getting started with battles at Sardis and Ephesus, and Histius was still with the royal court back in Persia. When Darius was informed about what was happening in his Lydian province, he met with Histius to discuss what his nominal subordinates were doing. According to Herodotus, Histius convinced the king to let him return to Ionia, with promises that he would convince his countrymen to lay down their arms and end the revolt. He even boasted to the king that he would lead new conquests in new territories out in the Mediterranean to add them to the Persian Empire. Satisfied with this display of loyalty, Darius allowed Histius to leave the court for the first time in over a decade, which puts us sometime around 497 BCE. From Iran, the tyrant made his way back to western Anatolia. At speed, the journey would have taken a few weeks. If Histius wasn't rushing and stopped to see the sights, then who knows, it could have taken much longer. Regardless, he probably reached Sardis sometime in the midst of the Persian offensive. If he traveled quickly, then Histius must have hung around at Sardis for a while, because all of the Persian leaders in the region were busy with the campaigns. We know that Artaphernes took over command of the troops in the Troad toward the end of that year's fighting, and thus wouldn't have had time for Histius until the end of that year. So why was Histius at Sardis? According to Herodotus, he was the mastermind of this whole revolt, so logically he should have made his way to Miletus to take his rightful place at the head of rebel forces. There are two options. Option one, he did not mastermind this revolt and really didn't want the Ionians to secede from the empire. In this scenario, he went to Sardis to actually help. Option two, Histius did mastermind the revolt, but things had gotten out of hand. Remember, he was the tyrant of Miletus, but one of the first things the rebels did was abolish the tyrannies and send those rulers into exile. In this scenario, he went to Sardis to enact Plan B, in which Artaphernes offered to reinstall him as tyrant of Miletus, in exchange, of course, for helping end the revolt. This was definitely in the realm of possibility, as we saw the exact same scenario played out with the tyrants from other cities in the last episode. Well, when Artaphernes returned to Sardis in late 497 or early 496, he found Histius there, and he apparently assumed it was option two. Artaphernes was hostile to Histius, even when he attempted to demonstrate his loyalty to the Achaemenid house, and basically ran him out of the city rather than offering him any sort of position as a tyrant, general, or even a servant. Histius fled to the island of Chios, which featured prominently in the last episode as the single largest supplier of ships to the Ionian navy during the Battle of Lade. According to Herodotus, Histius was welcomed on Chios because word had spread among the Ionians that he had planned or supported their rebellion with Aristagoras all along. Ironically, this would be around the same time that Aristagoras was trying and failing to colonize Thrace again, ultimately leading to his death. From Chios, 
probably after learning that Aristagoras had abandoned the city, he sailed south to Miletus and tried to enter the city, but the Milesians wanted nothing to do with him. He added no particular advantage because he had no particular knowledge of the local Persian army. Knowledge of the enemy court, thousands of miles away, didn't do much good for the Ionians. They were also done with tyrants, and so the Milesians told their former ruler to get lost. He turned around and went north. Rather than returning to Chios, he went to the island of Lesbos, where he secured a few warships. How exactly he did this isn't explained by Herodotus. Maybe he was doing all of this traveling with his personal fortune in tow, or maybe the ships and their crews were some kind of mercenary loan from the lesbians in exchange for some unexplained benefit, payment, or promise from the wandering tyrant. He did not take his new ships and join the Ionian fleet as a freelance commander to fight the Persians, but instead took his ships north and occupied Byzantion as a sort of pirate king for a few years. He seized ships and cargo passing through the Dardanelles, offering them the options of joining his fleet or surrendering. Surrender without joining his army probably meant that the crews would be sold into slavery to fund this bizarre operation. Maybe some of this was meant to pay off any debts he had incurred in Lesbos when he acquired the first few ships. Hestia stayed put in Byzantion until things were starting to fall apart for the Ionians in 495 and 494 BC. After the Battle of Laude, when everything was supposed to be winding down in Ionia, Hestius launched a new campaign. He sailed from Byzantion, where he left his lieutenant in charge, to Chios, where he had previously sought refuge, and basically announced that he was in charge now. His logic seems to have been that since Miletus had led the rebellion, and he was the last Milesian left, he was now in charge of all of the Greek rebels. The Chians, now battered and bruised from the Battle of Laude, and probably ready to capitulate to Persia, told him to go away, and Histias attacked. He and his band of lesbian mercenaries and captured sailors fought a land battle to seize the chief Chian city of Polychne. From there, he staged a takeover of the whole island, which really didn't stand a chance. The Chian navy had just been depleted from 100 fully crewed triremes down to maybe 30 battered and battle-weary ships. They were easily overwhelmed by the ragtag army from Byzantion, and along with Chios, he also gained control of their mainland territory. Primarily, that meant the region of Artaneus, granted to the island of Chios by Cyrus the Great in exchange for their surrender in the 540s. Apparently, Histius was trying to carve out a little kingdom for himself in the post-war settlements, because instead of going to the other Ionian cities or trying to take on the Persians, he attacked the independent island of Thassos just off the coast of Thrace. The Thassians had not just been battered by another army and did not even try to face Histias' fleet on open water. Instead, they forced him to land on the island and besiege their city. Histias and his army got stuck in this situation for an unspecified length of time. They were still encamped on Thassos when word reached Histias, 
probably now in mid-493. I routinely wish that I knew more languages. Even right in the middle of the US, I run into Spanish speakers all the time, and my social media always has a little Persian, Arabic, some Dutch and German. Rosetta Stone does help. It's the most trusted language learning program after all. It's also conveniently available on desktop or on the go as an app and has some really cool features that truly immerse you in the language you're learning. Just the first steps, like learning a new alphabet and some simple phrases, helped open new doors, and Rosetta Stone is a great choice as the trusted expert in this for 30 years and millions of users with 25 languages available to learn. They focus on fast language acquisition, without English translations to help you learn, speak, listen, and think in your new language while building long-term retention. Their true accent speech recognition also gives feedback on pronunciation, which can be really important for languages like Persian, where how you say something is very important. And on top of being available for desktop and mobile, you have the option to download lessons and take them offline. This is also all available at a steal. You can get lifetime membership, all 25 languages, for 50% off. Don't put off learning that new language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, History of Persia listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today today. That a Persian fleet was sailing north from Miletus to reconquer Ionia. Most importantly for Histias, this meant Chios and Lesbos, his own little fiefdom and the island where his core sailors and soldiers were from. It is somewhat implied that Lesbos was part of the little kingdom of Histias at this point. Anyway, Lesbos was closer, so they abandoned the siege of Thassos and got back to their own territory as fast as they could. Once on Lesbos, Histias needed to get supplies in order to feed and support this growing army. So he took a contingent to the mainland and got resupplied from the farmland around Artaneus. They also went out to raid the farmland and the surrounding Phrygian region for whatever they couldn't get from their own territory. This was pretty standard practice for ancient armies. But in this case, it turned out to be a lethal mistake. While raiding the farms of a non-Greek Anatolian people called the Mysians near the city of Malinae, Hestias just happened to bump into one of the Persian armies that had come north to finish pacifying the region. It was commanded by a general named Harpagus. No known connection to the more famous Harpagus who had conquered the same area for Cyrus the Great. These Persians engaged with the Greek army here, just as they had probably engaged rebel armies in the surrounding area. The Persian cavalry charged into the Greek infantry, breaking apart their formation and sending them into a retreat. Most of Histias' followers were killed, but the former tyrant himself was actually captured. He feared execution, but his time at Darius's court had taught him a thing or two, namely the Persian language. So speaking Persian, he basically said, Don't you know who I am? I'm Histias, a loyal servant to the great king to which basically anyone involved at this point must have been thinking, well, he sure got a funny way of showing it. Nevertheless, he was spared a battlefield execution and taken back to Sardis as a prisoner. Then, 
when Artifernes saw who Harpagus had brought back, his reaction amounted to, why the hell did you bring a known traitor back as a prisoner? Let's just execute him. And that's just what they did. As soon as he arrived in Sardis, Hestius, former tyrant of Miletus, was impaled on a stake. His body was left to rot, presumably alongside other Ionian rebels, but Artifernes had his head embalmed and sent back to his brother Darius as proof of one very notable traitor's death. Now, we don't know if the story Herodotus tells next is true. I both can't see why it would be, or how the story would spread if it wasn't. The Greek historian says that Darius never believed that Histias had betrayed him, and blamed the issue on Artifernes and the other Persian leaders' general dislike of the Milesian tyrant. As Herodotus tells the story, Darius actually had the head of Histias given a proper burial when all was said and done. In the remaining campaign season of 493, the Persian fleet swept up the coast of Anatolia to reconquer Greek cities. On the islands of Chios, Lesbos, and also Tenedos, the Persian army landed and captured many of the inhabitants, deporting them into exile somewhere in the Eastern Empire. Cities that resisted were burned, temples were plundered, and according to Herodotus, young children were taken and sent back to Persia to become servants in the royal court. And with the death of Histias and all of Ionia once again in Persian hands, some might argue that the Ionian Revolt, Persia's first major war with the people they called Yona, was over. But it was not. To the north, there were still cities in revolt on the far side of the Hellespont and the Propontis, the modern Sea of Marmara. And beyond them, the Persian foothold in Thrace and Macedon, won by Megabyzus 20 years earlier, was slipping away. The Persian fleet, which Herodotus always reminds us was largely Phoenician, sailed north in late 493. Before the Persians arrived, rebel supporters from Chalcedon and Byzantion, probably including the leftovers from Histias's pirates, fled northeast into the Black Sea and eventually settled the Greek colony of Mesambria, modern Nezabar, Bulgaria. The Persians sacked the rebel cities either way. They resubjugated and pillaged a few more cities on the European side of the Propontis before landing in the Chersonese on the return leg of their trip. The Chersonese, or more accurately, the Thracian Chersonese, since several locations in antiquity had that same name, is the modern Gallipoli Peninsula. A few cities there surrendered peacefully as soon as they knew the Persian fleet was coming. But generally, the Chersonese fell to the Persians like all of the other rebel territory. The fleet and the army worked their way through the region one city at a time, accepting surrenders and forcibly taking any cities that did not comply. Until very recently, the Chersonese had been a largely Thracian region ruled by a Greek tyrant named Miltiades. Remember the name, because those of you that know where this overall narrative is headed will already know why he's important. The Greek colony in the Chersonese had an odd history. It was founded by our Miltiades' uncle, who had the same name. He was sent from Athens to establish a colony and helped lead the local Dolonki tribe in a war against their neighbors. The exact circumstances are unknown, but he basically took over the Dolonki and their territory as a traditional Greek tyrant 
and ruled the western Chersonese as a sort of Greco-Thracian kingdom. When he died, the Pisistratid tyrants in Athens replaced him with a guy named Stesagoras, who was killed in battle pretty quickly. Meanwhile, our younger Miltiades was rising through the ranks to become an eponymous archon in Athens under the tyrant Hippias, who I discussed in more detail back in episode 32. When Stesagoras was killed, Miltiades was sent to take over as tyrant in the Chersonese sometime around 516. He was only independent for a few years before he was conquered and made into a tribute-paying member of the Persian Empire when Darius crossed over in 513. Like many Greeks in the region, he was never thrilled with this arrangement and rebelled when he heard the Ionians had also gone into revolt. Unlike the Ionians, his Thracian subjects did not throw out their tyrant, and Miltiades hung around until the end of the war. When he heard that a Persian fleet was coming for vengeance in 494 or 493, Miltiades fled back to Athens and left his territory open to Persian conquest. The Persian fleet quickly subjugated the Chersonese once again. The Athens he returned to was a changed city. Remember, when I explained Athenian politics, I explained how Hippias was ousted as tyrant from Athens and went into exile in Persia. After a series of coups, Athens was firmly established as a democracy, where every male citizen got to vote on most issues. They were also firmly anti-tyrant. Miltiades had both been a supporter of the Pisistratid tyrants and ruled as a tyrant himself, so that's two strikes against him. A third strike came because his family were traditionally rivals to the Alcmyonidae, the leading aristocratic family in Athens for the early 5th century. So Matiades was put on trial. He likely would have been executed or exiled had he not rebelled against the Persians. See, Miltiades successfully used his nominal participation in the Ionian Revolt to argue that he had made a stand for Greek freedom and independence against Persian despotism and barbarity. He was no tyrant, he was a freedom fighter, who was also a tyrant. But ignore that part. That argument not only allowed Miltiades to survive in Athens, but thrive in the young democracy. He rose to become one of the leading politicians in the polis over the next two years. Back in Anatolia, Artaphernes was making arrangements to return to peacetime. The land of each reconquered city's territory was surveyed and a census was conducted in each to reassess their tribute and tax burden. Not only would it have been increased as punishment for their rebellion, but Artaphernes probably also used this as an opportunity to bring Ionia into line with Darius's empire-wide tax reforms. I will discuss those in a future episode. The satrap also instituted more imperial oversight in the defeated Greek cities. Namely, all internal Ionian disputes would now be settled by a panel of judges, apparently a mixture of local Greek and Persian officials. With those reforms in place, the Greek cities of Anatolia were handed back over to the tyrants, or to new tyrants as necessary. The coastline gradually returned to normal over the next few years. And with that, many sources would say that the war was over by the end of 493 or winter of 492. 
But when the campaign season of 492 came around, the fighting went on. The Anatolian coast and European side of the Propontis were back in line, but to the northwest, there was still fallout from the Greeks' failed revolt. Twenty years earlier, Darius had left his general Megabazus in Europe, where he conquered Thrace and forced the kingdom of Macedon to pay tribute to the Persian Empire. I covered all of this way back in episode 24, Darius the Great. Well, once subjugated, all of this European territory was technically placed in the jurisdiction of the satrap of Lydia. During the revolution, Artaphernes had been cut off not just from his coastline, but also from all of the territory he would normally access through that coastline. In the almost seven years since Aristagoras rebelled in 499, Persian control of southeast Europe had lapsed, and it was now time to remind the Thracians and Macedonians who was in charge. So in early 492, a fresh young commander was appointed to take over the Persian army in the west and mop up the last traces of the Ionian Revolt. The war will continue next time, as we meet Mardonius. Until then, thank you for listening. If you want more information about the podcast, you can find it at historyofpersiapodcast.com. There you can find information about me, where to listen to the podcast, my bibliography, the Achaemenid family tree, down to the children of Darius, and the support page for the show. If you want to support the show, there are a bunch of ways you can do it now. Follow any of the affiliate links you find on that page, or go to patreon.com slash historyofpersia and sign up for a monthly subscription where you will get access to, among other things, bonus episodes or an ad-free version of the podcast feed. I also really encourage everyone to support the show by telling your friends and family, sharing it on social media, and leaving reviews on whatever podcast platform you prefer. There are so many platforms where you can share these sorts of things now, and that is the best way to make the podcast grow. So, until next time, thank you all so much for listening to The History of Persia. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.